0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. My God, my Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So it's always astounding to see how relevant Scripture is. I mean, it's easy to think about the Old Testament and think, well, it's old, so how relevant can it be to us in the here and now? And yet we've come to this book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah in the Old Testament, a book that a lot of people don't know about, that are unaware of who he is. I mean, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a prophet, but God called him out to go to those who were discouraged, to bring hope to those who were in despair. And God calls each and every one of us out to do the same thing. We also saw that Nehemiah was a man who was moved by compassion, by the plight of his brothers and sisters of faith. He was a man whose heart was broken for the things that break the heart of God. And so he was moved to turn to prayer. And it wasn't just a little prayer. It was a prayer that was deep, deep of faith. It was a prayer that recognized the love and greatness of God. It was a prayer that confessed sin, and not just other sin, but his sin. But it was also a prayer that had great confidence, knowing that God forgives our sin. You know, and I have to admit that last week, working on the message and then delivering the message, it affects me too. And I saw how I can grow in my faith and how I can grow in my prayer life. And now you might think that's a crazy thing for a pastor to say, but I, like you, am on a journey of faith. I'm continually Growing alive, I continually grow deep, and then because of that, I grow bold. And it is a journey that you and I are on of faith. And it's not like there's a point where we say, well, I've got all my faith that I need, I'm done. Right? It is a continual journey for each and every one of us as we grow in our faith. I mean, we aren't done growing until that moment when we pass from this life to the next because faith as you see is just not static missed a slide there Okay, faith is not static it is not passive there we go just out of order faith is not static or passive it just doesn't sit there as our faith grows it moves you to do things in essence faith does. Now, faith might not move you to go on a missionary trip, although who knows, it could. But faith works in you in different ways. For example, does your faith wait upon the Lord and pray? That's what faith does. Faith has you wait and pray. Does your faith ask for what is needed to look upon the reality of the situation? Does your faith inspire you and others to to act? Does your faith prepare you for opposition? In essence, faith does. You see, those questions I just asked you should be about as relevant as it could be, and these were some of the same things that Nehemiah faced. So let's dive in to faith and the book of Nehemiah and as we grow alive, deep, and bold in our faith. So we first find that faith waits upon the Lord and prays. It says this, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took, up the, uh, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, Remember, Nehemiah is a cupbearer before the king. So that's why he would bring wine before the king. And when you take a look at it, when Nehemiah first heard about what was happening in Jerusalem and the plight of his brothers and sisters there and the state of Jerusalem, he went to the Lord first in prayer, right? He was a man of great prayer, but he didn't take action right away. In fact, when you start to take a look at the chronology of it. He got the news in around mid-December to mid-November, somewhere in there. But he actually didn't leave for Jerusalem until about four months later. So he was there, he sat, and he waited and prayed. And this is really difficult. I don't know if it's, you know, for me, sometimes I want to Quite honestly, sometimes I want to use chair, uh, prayer like a checklist. Like, I prayed, good, got that done, now I can act. Now I can do whatever I want to do. Not, not, you know, in. you understand that, right? In boundaries. I didn't mean it that way. But do you do that? Do you sometimes, like, say a little prayer and then kind of go, okay, good, I've done my duty to the Lord, now I can just move on. But the thing is, when things are unclear, when there are bigger tasks ahead of you, when you have to work together with a lot of people to accomplish a goal, it is wise to wait upon the Lord. And you have to understand this, that waiting upon the Lord is not passive. It is active in waiting. It's not like you just sit there and... And wait. It is an act of waiting upon the Lord. One person put it like this It's during this time that you are preparing your heart, being ready to serve, and expecting God to provide. It's knowing that God is already working behind the scenes so that when the time is exactly right, everything will be in place for us to move forward. Waiting upon the Lord is an active preparation on your part. Psalm 37 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's a tough one, right? How many of you pray that? I want patience now. By the way, it's a dangerous prayer. I've told people that's a dangerous prayer to pray for patience. Because God will put you in situations where then you need to learn patience. Psalm 52 says this I trust in the steadfast love of God forever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for you for you. I will wait for your name, for it is good. And so we learn to wait upon the Lord in all situations. The trouble is, and I don't know if you're like you, but when I wait upon the Lord, my mind starts to go into overgear. Does that happen with any of you? You don't don't have to raise hands, but all of a sudden you start to cogitate, you think about things, and your level of anxiety rises a little bit, and you're like, oh, i got to act now, because otherwise it won't happen. So there's an anxiousness that can often come waiting upon the Lord. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In our time of waiting, we want to seek God, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness before we move out. Nehemiah, a great leader, a man of great faith, still waited four months before taking any action. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He said, True faith in God brings a calmness to the heart that keeps us from rushing about and trying to do in our own strength what only God can do. We must not only know how to weep and pray, but we also must learn how to wait and pray. Faith waits upon the Lord and prays. And at the right time, faith asks for what is needed. So from our reading, And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? There's nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's grave, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, Nehemiah was before his earthly king, King Artaxerxes, and the king was kindly disposed to him. The king seemed to have some fondness for his cupbearer. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked. Notice it was the king who brought forth uh, and initiated the conversation. Why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? There's nothing but sadness of the heart. He noticed what was going on with Nehemiah. But also notice Nehemiah's reaction. He said, Then I was very much afraid. I mean, here, here he is. This man of great faith. Of strong faith before the Lord. He's still afraid before this earthly king. This king who rules over all that region. And he had to really come to decision, would he be honest before the king? Would he actually share his burden that was on his heart before his king? It says this, he said, Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? he had to be honest before the king and i think in a number of ways we have some trepidation before our king before christ the king some of us think should i really be honest and it's not like he doesn't know but can i really bear bring all of the burdens of my heart to him can i lay everything out the good the bad and the ugly And it's that bad and ugly part that we really kind of want to hide rather than bring it to him, even though it might be on our heart. See, we too can come to Jesus. We can pour out our burden and pain. We remember his promises, and we come before him in confidence. See, faith asks for what is needed, but it must start with what is going on in your lives. We have the promise from John. We read that last week from the Gospel of John. In that that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus in His grace asks you to come to Him. To draw near to Him. Ask. Come in faith. Put your burdens at the foot of the cross. In Luke chapter 11 it says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. Now let's be clear about this. You are to ask in His will, not your will. Gracious God, I really want a new Mercedes. Might be on your heart, but I don't think that's necessarily the will of God. I mean, you've got to come before him asking for his will to be done, right? So you bear your burdens asking for his will to be done. Where do we say that? Every week in the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now Nehemiah lays it out to the king starting verse four, then the king said to me, "What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, "If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Notice the first thing he does, he says a prayer. It was probably not a long prayer, right? It was probably a pretty short prayer. But the thing about this is, when you are practiced in prayer, that is, when you prayed over time, you've exercised your prayer muscles, the short prayers come a little easier. They come a little faster. Again, it doesn't have to be this long prayer. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah probably prayed something like this, Gracious God, Almighty God in heaven, give me the right words. I know you have probably prayed something like that before, but it is a heartfelt prayer. And the more you pray, the more you exercise those muscles, the more you realize that you rely on the Lord in prayer. So, because he had been waiting on the Lord, seeking his will, what he wanted to get done, when the time was right, he was truly able to ask for what he He needed. He knew the goal that he wanted to accomplish. He knew resources that it would take. He knew that he needed the king's protection and blessing. And so he was able to lay this all out for the king, and the king says yes. So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem for the work that needs to be done. And he takes a look at the situation, and that's what faith also does. Faith looks upon the reality of the situation. Verse 11, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. You see, some people want to take a A blind eye. They want to have a blind eye to the situations going on within a church or the larger church body. And some people say, well, we should just insulate ourselves from the rest of the world. And thus you also get monasteries or nunneries. So you get those where they're just insulating themselves from the world. But Jesus didn't pray for that. He said this, John chapter 17, I do not ask, and this he's praying to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So faith doesn't insulate you from the world, it actually sends you into the world. And you take a look with a realistic eye of what is going on. Nehemiah's faith had him look and confront the realities of the situation. The walls were broken down. The gates were broken down. I mean, it was a lot in shambles. And notice also Nehemiah went by himself at night. So he didn't take a lot of the officials. He didn't take a lot of people who might have just been yes men to him. He wanted to get a true look for himself of what was going on, confronting the things that he really had to confront, to honestly face what was going on in Jerusalem. And so you and I also need to do that. We need to honestly take a look at what is going on, not only in Joy Church, But also within other churches, with our community, with our nation. We can't just turn a blind eye to things. You know, in our current culture in America, there's more and more outright hostility towards Christians. It's just plain. There's more outright hostility towards Christianity and a Christian worldview. Now, you can try to put your head in the sand. You can say, well, it won't happen here. But those cultural forces are working in, on, through the churches. So as I talked about last week, the cultural issues of LGBTQ, of transgenderism, of critical race theory of woke, of social justice. And uh, now the abortion issue has not calmed down. It is raging even more. And all of these cultural issues want to affect, infect and affect the church itself. And so we can't be naive about it. We can't just throw up our hands and say, well, I don't know what to do. We can't just be in despair either. You see, faith is neither naive or in despair. You know, during the whole COVID thing, which is still going on apparently, right? My faith didn't decrease, it increased. And even during that time, My joy increased and my gratitude and my love increased despite the influence that is going on. So this is what faith does for you. It draws you ever closer in the love of God, his grace, his mercy. Your heart grows in gratitude. You aren't naive about it. But faith builds up in you and it starts to move you to action. And that's what faith also does. Faith inspires you and others to action. Verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Notice that Nehemiah does not say, you are the problem. What you have been doing or not doing is the problem. And what you need to do is, he doesn't do that. He says, we. He says, we. You see the trouble we are in. And recall, if you will, just go back to chapter 1 of Nehemiah. In his prayer, he he prays for the sin of all, including himself. You see, for Nehemiah, and it should be for us, there is neither no you or they. There is no you or they. In the body of Christ, there is no you or they. It is us. We are one body. And when I say us, I do not mean just Joy Church. Yes, we should be one body as Joy Church. But we are one body with our brothers and sisters in Christ, even in other churches in this town. I'm president of the ministerial, right? Of other Bible-based, Christ-centered churches. They are my brothers. They are my sisters. We are one body together. So we rise up as a body. We build as a body. And we actually covered this in our study of the Nicene Creed. We talked about um, there's one church, right? It says in Ephesians, there's one body and one spirit, just as you're called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's unity, In the body of Christ. And we are called, you and I are called, to be unified in the work of the Lord. You see, Nehemiah, his call was a positive call. It was not a negative call. It was positive. He focused on the glory and the greatness of God. He doesn't say much about the law, about what he's against, but he says what he is for. You see, while speaking of what we are against is necessary, it is not the fuel that drives us. Are we against unrighteousness and sin? Well, of course we are. Jesus preached very heavily on that. He said this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if you lose and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Do we preach against sin? Yeah, of course we do. And those precautions are good and necessary for all of us to hear. They are vital. But ultimately that is not the goal, that is not the message. That is not what propels us forward. Before I get to this next slide, I would like you to think, what actually does propel us forward? Just in your own mind, think about that. As a a Christian, what actually propels you forward? It should be the love of God that compels us. It is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus that moves us that moves us forward. It is in the cross that we see the love of God. The grace of God. The mercy of God. It is in the cross that we see the glory of God. And we see the greatness of God. It is in the cross of Christ. It is the gospel. And that is what moves us. That is what draws us. It is always the gospel. As we say every week. What? Why do we do what we do? For the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And thus we rise up and build because of the gospel. And at Nehemiah's call, they did, rise, they did rise up and immediately accepted the challenge. They said, let us rise up and build. In spite of all the circumstances, in spite of what they could see with their eyes, they could touch with their hands, in spite of all the obstacles in their way, they said, let us rise up and and build, and they were unified as a body in that goal. And that's why we sang that song this morning, Rise Up, O Men of God. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of kings. This is what faith does. Faith inspires you. Faith does. Faith also prepares you. For opposition as well. Because remember, faith is not naive. It says this But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of servant, and Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is the thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we are his servants. Well, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right to claim in Jerusalem. Look, there was a lot of costs of rebuilding Jerusalem the labor, the money. But one of the biggest problems really wasn't that, it was opposition. And not just opposition from without, but opposition from within. This is also what can happen with churches. There can be opposition within, not without. And by the way, I'm not hinting at anything at Joy Church. I am trying to faithfully preach the word here. So don't take this like there's a hidden message whatsoever. I got to tell you, I am thrilled I'm thrilled with what we are doing and how we are growing. I have no complaints. I love what we are doing. Is that clear? Okay. But within churches, and when you take a look at what's going on in the world right now, a lot of the opposition comes from within. See, when you grow bolder in your faith, let's make this personal now. When you grow bolder in your faith, you should expect opposition. When you move out in faith, you should expect that opposition. And it is because the battle we face is spiritual in nature. It's not just laws. It's just not politicians. It is a spiritual battle that we face. Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers, Over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the heavenly places, our battle is a spiritual battle. Nehemiah knew this, and noticed that he simply didn't get into arguments with people over it. He didn't get into arguments, and he didn't let their excuse me their ridicule bother him. It says this. They jeered at us and despised us. What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I mean, you can just hear the sarcasm dripping off their lips on that. So they start off with ridicule. And by the way, in your faith, especially with what's going now, you can expect ridicule. But know this. Ridicule is the weapon of those who have no other. Look, they, people don't have arguments. And you take a look at our cultural uh, landscape right now. There's ridicule galore. I mean, it's everywhere. But it's because people actually don't have arguments. So they will name call. They will say nasty things to you just because you're a Christian just because you have a Christian worldview that says life is precious because God created it. And then when they come at you with ridicule, know that they have no argument. They simply despise you for the sake of who you are, just as they despise Jesus for the sake of who he was. Jesus was taunted People said, oh, he's a drunkard. He goes around with tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors being the worst of the sinners, right? Tax collectors and sinners. And they even mocked him while he was on the cross, didn't they? So if they mocked him, and if they mock you, know that you are in the company of Jesus. But Nehemiah did not argue with him. He said this, The God of heaven will make us prosper. In essence, my trust, my faith is in the Lord and His providence. And we, His servants, will arise and build. We're not going to be quiet. We're going to actually go about our work that God has given us to do. But you will have no portion or claim in Jerusalem. You are not of who we are. We are people of God. So he spoke to them of the promises of God, and he left it up to them to accept or reject those promises. And you too can stand firm in your faith. You see, faith does. And so we're going to go back to those questions that I started with this morning How does your faith wait upon the Lord and pray? How does your faith ask for what is needed and ask to be equipped for what is needed? How does your faith look upon the reality of the situation and sees the good, the bad, and the ugly neither be naive nor in despair? How does faith inspire you and others to act in the here and now with what you can do? Often we say, well, it's such a big problem, I can't do anything. No, there are things that you can do, little things along the way. And as a body of Joy Church, and as a body of the Bible based, Christ believing, Christ centered churches in Fountain of Hills, we then can do many little things together, which become bigger things. And then finally, how does faith, how does your faith prepare you for opposition? The book of Nehemiah is so relevant to today. Isn't it amazing? The word of Lord stands and moves us throughout our lives. No matter if it was written thousands of years ago, it still stands true. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word We pray for the Holy Spirit to work in and through us to bring us to ever greater faith, trusting you, praising you, worshiping you evermore. And this we pray in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.